From North Carolina Public Radio, WUNC, this is Stories with a Heartbeat. I'm Will McInerney. Each episode, we explore the human condition in conflict through poetry and stories. This is a journey. The vast mosaic of local, national, and global conflict is our road, and the desire to connect the driving force. It's what happens when you hold a radio mic in one hand and a poet's pen in the other. This is Stories with a Heartbeat. A distressed father pleads for information. Take me to jail. You'll do whatever I'm not saying here. I'm going to go in there and see what's going on, sir. This scene unfolded around 8 p.m., three hours after police said three people. What's your situation? If he's dead, tell me he's dead. If he's alive, tell me he's alive. Just tell me straight up. February 10th, 2015, Dia Berakat, his wife Yusor Abu Salha, and her sister Razan Abu Salha were murdered in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. All three young American Muslims were shot and killed execution style in their home. Their neighbor, Craig Stephen Hicks, turned himself into authorities and was charged with three counts of first degree murder. In the first few days after the tragedy, WUNC reporter Rima Crace was on the story. All day, all night. Rima's from Chapel Hill, and she's also a member of the local Muslim community. I asked Rima how she first heard the news on February 10th. I got a phone call from one of my best friends. I, I, I remember I was like, hey, how's it going? And uh, she was just like sobbing on the other end. And and we talk like every every night. And so I just, I thought it was just like a routine call. Um, and she just kept saying, like, Dia, Dia, um, Suzanne's brother. And I was like, Dia, Dia, but I can't. And I was like, what about him? She was like, he's dead. Like, he's someone, he's dead. Rima got on her computer and started searching Google, Twitter, and Facebook. She was coming up empty. Information was vague and sparse in the first few hours after the crime. And I remember my friend telling me in that moment, like, Rima, like, you need to say, you need to say that this was a hate crime. This was a hate crime. And I, and I don't, I remember I didn't say much back to her. I was just like kind of quiet because I was like, I don't know. Like, I don't, I don't know if it's a hate, you know, I don't know. The journalist and Rima didn't draw conclusions. She needed facts first. But this story hits close to home for Rima. Um, I was, I was just, I think, in shock that three people I knew of in the community, in the Muslim community, which I've grown up in, were, um, were murdered. And I remember going to sleep that night and actually wondering, I was like, I wonder if my editor will care about this. Like, I wonder if he'll, um, if maybe I need to send him an email and say that I want to cover this. I don't know, maybe it's not a big deal. Like, shootings happen. I don't know if he will care. And I woke up the next morning and I was, um, I was very wrong. He cared and um, the rest of the world scared. Shortly after the crime, Rima's colleague at WUNC, BB Judge, talked to Mukul Devashan from the BBC's Global Trending Desk. By the next morning, it was top 
trend, I think, in the United States. And through the day, we saw it spread to the UK and then across much of the Middle East as well. So countries like Egypt uh, and Saudi Arabia. And we saw it there being the top trend on Twitter and also being talked about on lots of other platforms as well. So a, a, a remarkable, I don't think, I, very rare that I've seen something spread so quickly in a way before the facts of the case were fully known. Over the next few days, Rima talked to police, family, friends, and community members. She attended vigils, service events, court proceedings, and the funerals. With the suspect Craig Hicks in custody, first-degree murder charges filed, and a global community watching, two clear narratives emerged. There was from the Chapel of Police uh, that was saying, hey, you know, according to the wife of this neighbor, this was over a parking dispute. This guy was crazy in terms of just how much he cared about where his neighbors parked, and this is why they were murdered. becoming so enraged over a parking space in this condominium complex that prosecutors say he shot three neighbors in the head. I can't say with my absolute belief that this incident had nothing to do with religion or victims' faith, but in fact was related to the long-standing parking disputes um, that, that my husband had with the neighbors. And then you had the families and friends, and frankly, support of the world in many ways, people on social media saying, hey, these were three young Muslim Americans who went out of their way to appease this menacing neighbor. This isn't a dispute. This is a clear hate crime. He posted things online that clearly bashes religion. He went to their household and threatened them once and flashed his gun. Um, if this isn't a hate crime, I don't know what is. And you had people saying that this didn't really escalate until Yusuf Abu Salha moved in with Dia Barakat, her husband, who she's visibly Muslim. Um, and you heard, you know, the father came out and said, my daughter has told me that she doesn't feel safe. She talked to us on two occasions about how much he, she felt he hated them. And she told us that he already to also told her that he hated who she was and how she looked and dressed. And she texted her, her husband, late husband, Dia, about this. And the FBI has these text messages. And I think until I said it, until I said Yosor Razan and Dia were murdered. And some people think it's because of their faith. I don't think it really felt real until I said that out loud. And... Um, I mean, even if you hear the interview and if you listen back to it, I, I think my voice was cracking, you know? And, and I immediately, you know, after it was done, went to a studio and just cried. Um, I mean, this is certainly like the toughest story I've ever covered. As the criminal trial entered into a long legal process, the clashing narratives over parking dispute and hate crime continued with little resolution. At the same time, another story emerged. A story about Dia, Yusor, and Razan's legacy, and about the inspirational lives they lived. This conflict is a little personal for me as well. I knew Dia, and his older brother Ferris. A couple weeks after the crime, I traveled to the other side of the world to explore their legacy and to look for answers I couldn't find at home. Mr. 
door open? Go around? I'm standing on the edge of darkness. I'm standing on the Syrian border. The clouds are thick. The air holds your lungs tight in the chest. I'm standing on the edge, asking myself old and tired questions like, why do bad things happen to good people? Why him? Why now? I'm standing in Rehanli, Turkey, a stone's throw away from the Syrian civil war, and the sign in front of me reads, Dia Barakat, Yusur Abu Salha, Razan Abu Salha, Dental Clinic. There's an eight and a half by 11 pixelated picture of their three smiling faces taped to the wall. I've seen this exact image on countless newspaper front pages and cable news shows, but the image hits home. Dia, Yusor, and Razan were killed in my city, one mile from my house. 6,000 miles away in Rihanli, there's a picture of Dia's smile, his name on the wall, and a dental clinic. I'm standing in Rihanli looking for Dia. In the midst of so much darkness, where is the light? So I get on a plane and travel to the other side of the world. I get on a plane and think about the last time Dia and I spoke. I think about a last hug and a last smile. I get on a plane and I wade through the darkness. The airport is nicknamed ISIS International. It's a nervous joke locals make. Truth and sadness are buried in shallow graves amongst the light laughter. There's one other American in the terminal when I land. She's kind. Let's me borrow her small, old-school Turkish phone to make a quick call. She tells me, good luck. Gives me a mother's worried stare and travels in the opposite direction, quickly. My taxicab windshield bears deep, jagged cracks. Perhaps a bullet's kiss. Gunshots leave lipstick scars and stories to conceal. They are a dime a dozen here. U.S. warplanes strike Al-Qaeda-linked fighters five miles to the left. Foreign jihadists are smuggling people and guns five miles to the right. Two years ago, twin car bombs exploded near the site of my hotel. Once able-bodied men are now pushed through the streets in wheelchairs. They are the lucky ones and I... I'm standing in the crucible of it all, staring at a sign that bears his name. In the front entrance, there's a black paper heart taped to the wall. In white Arabic script, it says, We will not forget you. About a month before Dia died, he started an online fundraising campaign to support the dental needs of the millions of Syrian refugees in Turkey. My name is Dia Barakat. I'm a dental student at UNC, and I need your help. Have you ever felt helpless about the situation in Syria and felt like you can't do anything about it? Well, this is your opportunity to help. Dia, a Syrian-American himself, was planning to come and work here during the summer. When the people on the ground heard about his murder, they felt like they had to do something. A few days later, 
a new dental clinic was named in his honor. The dentist on duty today is Dr. Muhammad. He's busy examining a young student when I walk in. She has bright pink princess sneakers harnessing her fidgeting feet, and she wears a sharp smirk across her cheeks. You know, most kids are afraid of the dentist, he says. Not here. I make sure. Not here. Many kids come by the clinic just to say hi. Just for a handshake or a high five in my short time with him, I see this again and again. Dr. Muhammad tells me, Many kids have lost family members, have lost a mother, a father, have lost both. More than anything, they need love. They need to feel that someone cares about them, he says. Our life cannot be defined by death, he says. Dr. Muhammad fills cavities and examines teeth, but his focus is on the heart. Later in the afternoon, the doctor catches me staring at the photo of Dia on the wall. I ask him how he feels working below it each day. He stops, holds a long, fragile pause, and admits, me personally, I'm just always smiling. And it's true. Dr. Muhammad's smile is a thin line, a flickering light, his smiles, a slivering tail of steam in the rim of a simmering cup of tea. Dr. Muhammad's smile feels so familiar. His smile is the soft spot in your mother's palm. His smile is the callus in your father's handshake. His smile is the saying spilt from your grandmother's lips over long wooden dinner tables and watered down drinks. His smile is a watering can to your roots. His smile is a repeating poem that persuades your pain out of existence when I look at him. His smile, his smile feels so familiar. Dia's fundraising campaign to support the dental clinic had around $16,000 the day he died. A few weeks later, after the world learned of his tragic murder, half a million dollars was donated. This clinic will be here for a long time to come. Before I leave, the doctor pulls me aside and tells me, Asif, Asif Habib, Asif. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, he says. There is no answer here. He points to the heart taped on the wall with white Arabic script. But I won't forget. We work in his honor. So he lives. So we live, he says. In Arabic, dia means light. Darkness cannot defeat light, I tell myself. It cannot. Bad things happen to good people for no good reason. But legacy, 
Legacy is life evolved. Legacy is life continued. I traveled 6,000 miles looking for Dia. And I found a dental clinic. I sat on the plane ride home and thought about the last time Dia and I spoke. He told me, keep writing. He smiled, and he told me, keep writing. For your legacy, for your life continued. Thank you, Dia. I will. Back in Chapel Hill, I recently talked to Dia's brother, Ferris Barakat. A few months after I returned from Turkey, Ferris made the same trip. He and some 40 others from around the country went to go volunteer in Rehanli at the dental clinic. They went to fulfill the original plan set forth by Dia. Everybody knew why we were there in a sense. It was... It became meaningful to us, let's put it that way, because of the story um, of, of the fact that Liat wanted to do it and Liat planned it. Next time on Stories with a Heartbeat, Ferris Barakat travels to the Syrian border and completes his brother's mission. This is Stories with a Heartbeat. I'm Will McInerney. This podcast is a production of North Carolina Public Radio, WUNC. This episode was produced by David Brower and me. Thanks to Mike Mullah for helping me on the ground in Turkey with interviews and translation. My guest was WUNC reporter Rima Crace. To hear more Rima's stories on the Chapel Hill shootings, check out wunc.org. Our original music was created by Stephen Levitin, also known as the Apple Juice Kid. Hear his beats at applejuicekid.com. And lastly, if you want to learn more about the Dia, Yusor, and Razan Dental Clinic in Rehanli, Turkey, check out the Syrian American Medical Society and the Syrian Kids Foundation. In Chapel Hill, North Carolina, I'm Will McInerney.